I want to introduce to you Taylor, who is going to be preaching the word of God in this fantastic pink suit, by the way. Yeah, I got the memo. You did get the memo. Okay, we got the memo. Taylor, this evening, for the very first time, is going to be preaching the word of God to you all. Um, So I'm going to pray for Taylor, and as we uh, get ready to listen to her preach. So yeah, Father, we thank you uh, for this moment, uh, Taylor, standing on the stage, getting ready to preach your word. We pray, Father, the words that this woman speaks, God, would really touch um, our hearts. We pray, Father, that we would have openness to receive the words. We pray, Lord, that her words would be a healing balm to those who need it. And we pray, Father, that there would be power coming out of the word of God today. Be with Taylor. She speaks in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Rebecca. Hello, everyone. I am so excited to be speaking to you today. I feel like I've been waiting ages to see your beautiful faces. Had to wait till Thursday, but here we are. Um, Yes, my name's Taylor, as Rebecca said, for those of you who don't know me, although I have been spending the whole week with the 12s to 14s. So if you're a 12 to 14, give me a shout. Yeah? I mean, come on, guys. We've spent quite a few days together. I know you're louder than that. Come on. Much better, much better. Um, It's great to hang out with the 15 to 18s and the graduates too. I'm really pleased to be here. Um, And obviously introductions are out of the way. Now, what I always find a bit funny is that when people tend to come on to do a preach, as they are introducing themselves, often they'll say, um, you know, if they're married, they might say, uh, my husband is John, my wife is Jane. Uh, Maybe they say, oh, we've got some kids, Tilly, Todd, and Timmy. Um, And they often might put up a picture. Um, You know, I think even Joe Mack, we got to see his wedding photo once. That was really lovely. Last time we were all together. And so I thought, you know, I'm new to this. I'll, I'll stick in with the theme, and I thought, I'm going to bring a picture as well of the one who stole my heart, as it were, the one I love the most. Is the picture up? Yeah? I know. Can't even, I can't even look at it. Because I miss her so much. I miss her so much. I know Joe earlier in the week found out who the dog people were. Who are the dog people? Yes. Yeah, I love her so much. Honestly, I just, I'm missing her so much. She's honestly like the love of my life. Um, and of course, I would just like to thank my husband for taking those photos too. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. My husband, he's my best friend. Um, he's fantastic. I love him as well. He's number one. Um, but yeah, that's me and that's my little family unit. I'm here with Westminster Chapel. They're my family too. Hello. Not bad for a small group. Thanks, guys. Um, Westminster Chapel, oh, my beautiful church. Yeah, they're my family as well. And actually, family is what I wanted to talk to you guys about today. Family, what it means to be in the family of God, in the household of God. And I know for some people, realistically, when you hear the word family, it doesn't bring around the best feelings. Some of you may be thinking, oh, you know what? I don't, I don't know if I'm ready or want to hear about family um, this evening. Some of you might be like, family, that's cool. But either way, I want to encourage you to stick with me because I've got some great news for you. And we're going to walk through this together. So we all have a different experience of family, don't we? We all come from different families. None of us will have had the exact same experience. But I believe that we're all called into the same experience of 
family. And I, as I said, want to look at what it means to be in God's household. So we're going to look at scripture, of course. It's the best bit. We're going to look at the book of Ephesians. So if you've got your Bibles, your phones, if you're making notes, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 2. So if you want to turn to that. And Ephesians, uh, it's a letter written by Paul. We heard a bit about Paul yesterday, didn't we, from Andrew Wilson? Very helpful. And Paul is writing this book of the Bible, originally a letter, to the church in Ephesus. So Ephesus is where the Ephesians live. It's not Ephesia, it's Ephesus. And Paul is writing to explain what it means for this mass of multicultural mankind to be invited into one family. He really, really wants them to get it. And I really want us to get this this evening. So why don't we read together? We're reading from verse 17 uh, through to 22. It's not too long, but it is important. It says this, And he came, that's Jesus, and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both, that's all of us, have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's just pray before we get stuck in. Father God, I thank you that you are our heavenly Father. And I thank you that you invite us to be a part of your household, to be built into something holy. And I pray that tonight you would speak to the hearts of all of these young people and help them to understand what it means to be invited into your household and experience you as our Heavenly Father. And we ask that you would do this by your Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as I said, we all have a different starting point when it comes to family. Um, A bit about me, I'm an only child. Uh, I don't know if anybody else is an only child. Any only children here? Okay, cool. Um, I'm going to air us out now because I think that means a few things to be an only child. A couple of things about me. Number one, I have a few control issues. Okay, I'm a little bit of a control freak. It's what happens when all the toys are yours. Okay. Number two, I'm very, very needy. My friends will tell you I'm a massive extrovert. I can't be alone for more than five minutes. So this is a dream. That's what you get when you don't have brothers and sisters. You have to go and find friends quickly. And number three, I eat very, very slowly. Um, You too. Everyone always laughs at me. Um, I'm the last one at the table, but I like to enjoy my food. Okay, and that's what happens when you don't have siblings stealing from your plate. Does anybody have food problems? Siblings stealing from their plates? Yeah. I don't like the sound of it. 
I don't like it. No, do not come for me. Do not come for my food. Thank you very much. Um, what else about me? So my parents, um, they got divorced when I was 12. Uh, so some of the youngest of you, 12 years old, my parents divorced when I was that age. It was rough. Uh, and what it meant was that I was constantly moving back and forth from house to house between mum, between dad, packing my bags, back and forth. Um, it wasn't very fun. And soon after, I had to accept new people into my life, you know, mum's boyfriends, dad's girlfriends. And I have to be honest, uh, it didn't go down well. As I said, control issues. Um, but it got better. Uh, you know, I matured. I got a bit more full of grace, a bit kinder, but it didn't go down well. Um, and meanwhile, all the other couples in my family were separated. So aunties, uncles, grandparents, none of them were still together with the people that they started out with. And so while I love my family, we do have a great time together, I did grow up with a few trust issues. Um, and it's safe to say that I didn't believe that you can trust family to stay the same. You guys might have a similar experience to me. You might have experienced some of those things. Some of you will have experienced something worlds apart. But either way, everything about our upbringing will develop in us some really human ideas about family, where we belong, and where we fit in. You know, there'll be things in all of our households um, where some of them are great things and they align with what Jesus would want for us, and some things they won't align at all. I know there'll be people here that maybe actually haven't met their family. Perhaps you haven't met one or, or two parents, and actually there's a deep curiosity as to where maybe characteristics come from, good things, bad things, maybe even some deep trauma. But regardless of all of that, family or a lack of family, I think, can leave us all feeling a little bit lost and confused. But this passage, as we read, talks about a family where regardless of all of that, we're invited and made for something bigger. What did we read? We read that we both, all of us, have access to the Father by one spirit. So we're no longer foreigners and strangers. We're no longer lost and wandering and confused. But we're fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household through Jesus and if this is where we're going today, if this is what we're going to look at, what it means to be in that household, I think it's really important, it's imperative, crucial that we look at where we've been. And one way to do that is to look at our own families as we have. But another way to do that, I think the best way to do that is to look at the Bible. And as I said, Paul, writing this letter, he really wanted the Ephesians to get it. And so he started out with the starting point for all of us as mankind. And this is what he says earlier on in this very same chapter. If you've got your Bibles, you might be able to spot it uh, around verse 2. What he says is that all of us, when we start out without Jesus, are sons of disobedience. That we follow the passions of our flesh. He actually calls us children of wrath. It's pretty harsh. It doesn't sound too good. But what does he mean when he's saying these things? They're quite abstract kind of ways of speaking, aren't they? You wouldn't really hear that now. You know, we're the sons of disobedience. We, we pursue the passions of our flesh. We're children of wrath. Well, 
I think TJ really helped us out a couple of days ago. He was talking about Adam and Eve. And while this sounds really intense, we do know the story. Uh, the first people God created, and they're in a perfect, essentially family unit with God. They know God. And then as we know, the enemy comes to tempt them down a path where they try to redefine their own identity and their own power. And essentially, it leads them to, on a road of suffering and this constant want to kind of pull away from God. Every single generation since that point has felt this tension of wanting to kind of pull away from God's best for us. They started a, a terrible legacy and our lineage Our parents, 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 our lineage is full of sin. We are the sons of disobedience. It's not good. And, you know, it's like, you guys will have things in your life and you'll have felt it. This isn't just something that's for dating back to Adam and Eve, but you'll have felt it today. There'll be things that you do, things that you believe, things that you think and you catch yourself and you just think, this, this, where's this coming from? This isn't of God. And it all comes from that moment. We are marked. Paul's explaining that we're basically part of a family marked for destruction. We follow the enemy's house rules, if you like. And so because of that, we pursue the passions of our flesh. We do what our humanness feels like doing. And so we're deserving of God's wrath. It's not because he's mean, it's because he's holy and he's pure, and it's his righteous anger against sin. You see, God can't have sin in his household, it just doesn't mix. It'd be like trying to put bright red paint into pure white paint and expecting it to stay the same. It just doesn't work. Sin and God's holiness, they don't mix. So... We're marked for destruction. That's what Paul wants them to get. It's pretty deep stuff, but it's important that we understand our starting point if we know where we're going. And where we're going is good news. It gets much better. As we carry on in the letter, what did we read in verse 17? It said that Jesus came to bring in those who were near and those who were far off, completely far away from him. And as we've just realized, that is all of us. The Bible couldn't be clear. All of us are welcome into Jesus. He's our out, basically, to avoid this destruction. In fact, the same passage explains that Jesus came to break down the dividing walls of hostility. And what that means is, essentially, regardless of your status or your gender or your race or your wealth or how well you're doing or how famous you are, we are all made equal when we are brought in to Jesus. Praise God. And yet somehow, I think we all try to diminish this work on the cross at some point. Like, if you're a Christian, I'm sure you kind of have said, yeah, everybody's welcome. I've done this. Everyone's welcome. God loves everybody. Jesus invites us all. Everything's fantastic. For God so loved the world. And then we catch ourselves in moments, moments of our lives where we go, yeah, 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 I know that, but maybe not me. Not fully. You know, I get it. We're all welcome, but I don't think God wants to know about that part of my life. I don't think he really wants me to get 
fully involved. I don't think he could really fully love me because if he knew about my past or what I've been thinking or how I'm feeling or what I've been doing, I wouldn't be completely in. And so we kind of sit uncomfortable in the house. You know, maybe we sit in God's household out in the hall with our arms crossed on the steps and we don't take our shoes off. We don't unpack. We keep God at a safe distance. We don't sit in the living room and cozy up and chat to him. We kind of keep our bags close and stay out in the hall. And you know, I didn't think I had a problem with this. I really didn't. I've been a Christian for about 10 years. um, And I thought, you know, no, I get this. We're all welcome. God forgives us. Everything's great. And then about four weeks ago, uh, I realized that I do this too. I had a massive argument at home with my husband. I'm a bit embarrassed to say, to be honest, but I thought, you know, let's be honest. Uh, God told me to say it, so why not? I had this massive argument, and to be honest, I was acting rotten. Oh, I was so mad. I can't tell you what about, so it can't have been that important, but I was raging. I was saying nasty things. I was being really horrible to my husband, and I was just being, yeah, not my best at all. At one point, I was that mad. Uh, I actually picked up uh, one of Mabel, the dog, one of her squeaky dog toys, and threw it out into the hall. I was that mad. Um, Side note, if you ever want to look intimidating or make a good point, or come across well in an argument, don't pick up a squeaky dog toy and throw it into the hall because you just look stupid, okay? You're like, oh, I'm making a point, you know, it just doesn't work at all. And then the dog's like, it's playtime, and it's just, it's terrible, it's all carnage. And then she realizes I'm crying, it's just a mess, it was embarrassing, very embarrassing. I'm also embarrassed because there's a load of adults sat over here who've allowed me to be on team this year um, because apparently I'm a supposed adult too. Um, and here I am throwing toys like children. So, uh, but they're good. They're godly people. They'll forgive me. Um, so it was bad. Um, and Nathan left, I think, for work, whatever he was doing. And I had this moment, just this moment of shame. And the reason was, it was the day I was supposed to be prepping this talk. So I sat there, and I was like, God, like, I'm not this person. Like, I know you love me, and I'm chosen and stuff, but I I can't be this person to get up and talk to these young people about you and your love and what it's like to be in the household of God. I can't do that when I'm acting like this. It's embarrassing. I feel, I feel shameful. And I, and I cried. I cried to God. I mean, the dog's still there with the toy in her mouth. Like, come on, are we going? Are we going? And I'm just crying on the floor. And I think, I just got it completely wrong. But God, in his grace, led me to this passage. And basically, he made me look at this talk in the face. And he made me challenge myself as to whether I believe what the Bible says is true. And he led me to a couple of things, um, two things, and they hit me in the face. They hit me like a ton of bricks. The first is from a little bit earlier in the passage, and the second is from what we've just been reading. So the first, earlier in the chapter, as we said, Paul sets this up by saying, you know what, we're all sons of disobedience, like the future is bleak, things are not good. But straight after that, and this is what God brought me to, he tells us and explains how on earth we get into the household of God. How do we get to be a part of God's family? And this is what he says. If you're in Ephesians 2, it's verse 4. It says, but God, 
being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And he's raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is key. And this is not your own doing. It's not a result of works so that no one can boast. It's not a result of works so that nobody can boast. In other words, the moment that I started thinking that the way I'd acted with Naif, just like a fool, disqualified me from being in the household of God, taking part in his purposes for me, I'd got it completely wrong. And I can imagine there's things in your own life. You know, TJ talked about shame earlier in the week. And trust me, I've got a lot more and deeper things than just this little argument. And I'm sure there are things that are popping into your head now where maybe you think, oh, not that thing. God's love, God's kindness, God's mercy isn't big enough for that thing. But the Bible tells us his kindness, his mercy, it's immeasurable. You can try, but it'll always supersede us. So I got it wrong. Verse four of the passage repeats, it tells us we're in a household of mercy, 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 and acceptance. Not because of who we are, but because of who God is is. It's not what we do that gets us a ticket in. You know how some people think that their brother or sister, I mean, this is what I've heard, people think that their brother or their sister is the favorite. Is that a thing? Hmm, I see some side eyes. Yeah, okay. All right, all right. I can, I can, I can sense the vibe. Okay, all right, settle down, settle down. I know it's a thing. People always say, and they all say it's each other as well, that someone's brother or sister is the favorite. And it always reminds me of my dad. (laughs) My dad cracks me up. Every time we go to my grandma's house, I can literally see him in my head doing it. My grandma's got this old wooden cabinet, and it's full of like those little football trophies with like two football uh, boots and medals and stuff. Now, my dad's the youngest of four. And every single time we go to my grandma's house, he'll walk along the cabinet and he'll be like, ah, not my trophies, none of my trophies here. He's like, don't you know I was the most naturally gifted basketball player of my time? (laughs) He wasn't. He wasn't. Uh, But yeah, he claims it to this day. None of my trophies. And he says to my grandma, there's none of my baby photos here. I'm the forgotten child. It does always make me laugh. We do um, rinse him for it, to be fair. It's not very nice. But you know, it's not like that with God. I think sometimes we really think that it is. But you can come, honestly, with all the trophies and best behavior, all these things, all the trophies you want, and bring it to God. Or you can just come with one of those, um, what are those things they give to everybody? The well done for taking part sticker. I've had loads of those. You can bring either to God. And he will still see you through Jesus as his first place prized possession. 
It's not because of the children that we are, but it's because of the Father that He is. We're in because of Jesus. Not because we've acted perfectly or earned the Father's love, but because He loves anyway. We've been brought into a household of mercy and love. So that's what hit me first. It was pretty big, so I'm still sat on the floor at this point, like, okay, thank you. Um, So I'm glad for it. And the second thing that hit me is what we read in verse 21. So it said this, in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We aren't perfect when we come into the house. And my goodness, we don't always stay perfect once we're in. But the passage reminds us that we are being built into a holy temple. He is the one that is perfection. We just scandalously get the credit for who Jesus is and what he's building us into. The passage says we're being built together into a dwelling place for God, not just built by God, but a dwelling place for God by his spirit. So he is in us and we are in him. And he's talking about his church. He knits us in to a family None of us are perfect, but we're being built in together in his love. It's so special. As an only child, I am thankful to have thousands of brothers and sisters, even the brothers and sisters that I have on site. I'm being built into this family, this church. It's absolutely beautiful. And because of that, we're able to come to him. We're able to come to our church family and say, you know what? I've acted rotten, just like I'm doing with you. These things that I'm thinking, these things that I'm feeling, I don't want to be like that. It doesn't feel right. I can feel myself acting like that old son of disobedience. I want to live like this household lives. We're able to do that and God invites us in and he covers us with his love and Jesus' blood. Paul himself, the guy writing this, he had a well-jaded past. It's hilarious. He, he persecuted Christians. He went after the very family that we're talking about today. And yet here he is after an encounter with Jesus, completely transformed, and it changed everything. He gets it. He knows what it is to have been brought in to the family of God. He actually refers to himself as the worst, like the worst of us. And yet he knows that he's been brought in without condition into the family of God, through Jesus. And some of you may feel like that, the worst of us. But in Jesus, God does not see you that way. Nobody is getting kicked out. And I really feel like somebody needs to hear that today. Nobody is getting kicked out. You know, I think of it like this. I've, I've lived with some amazing families, again, church family that kind of took me in and let me live with them during some of the growing up years of my life. And um, actually, some of the kids that were really tiny are here 
as like 12 to 14s, it's so weird. So I won't mention any names. I'm not going to embarrass you wherever you are. Uh, but trust me, I've seen some disobedience. All right? Yeah. <laughs> I've seen some disobedience. I've seen some tantrums. Do you know what? It's fascinating living with a family. Anyone that's like young, single, you should go and live with a family. It's, it's brilliant. <laughs> I was like a fly on the wall. But they were amazing. And it was fascinating watching these, these parents uh, try to parent their children um, as Christian parents with the love of God. And it, it amazed me every day. Because even when they're young kids, you know, with throwing tantrums and being disobedient and not following the rules, their parents never stop loving. I watched it and it was, it was just fascinating to watch them, you know, give it an hour and they'd be giving them food on the dinner table and tucking them into bed, giving them a kiss, praying for them, discussing them, loving on them. They never run out of love. It's like it would just reset and reset and it just got me thinking why why is that you can tell I don't have kids can't you (laughs) really (laughs) why um but no it got me thinking and I thought you know what actually when prepping this talk I realized well they're kind of like in their kids right parents are kind of like in their kids and their kids are in them being built up in their household their parents see these little things, and they see all this opportunity to build a legacy. And they want to love them and teach them how to do well and watch them grow and flourish and build them into something great. So how much more with us? God says he wants to dwell among us. He is in us. We are in him, in his household. He's building a legacy, his church. How much more does he want to build us up into something beautiful? And how much more does his love reset like that? Every time we're not perfect. Children often aren't perfect. We're being built into a family. And as we read, the Bible describes it like this. We're being built into a cornerstone, Jesus And all the walls are being built into a line with him, being built into this household. And this idea of a cornerstone, it comes up elsewhere in the Bible. And I just want to touch on one. It's from 1 Peter chapter 2. And I actually didn't realize this, but I know that the 15 to 18s have been really digging into this, which is so exciting. So you may recognize this. But for all of you, I want you to try and see if you can spot any similarities. Okay? So it's 1 Peter chapter 2 from verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, this is Jesus, you also are like living stones. You're being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, see I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And listen to this, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. You know, TJ spoke about shame a couple of nights ago. It was fantastic. And he mentioned some of the ways that we feel shame. 
hopefully I can remember correctly, he said, number one, we might feel shame because of the things that we've done. Number two, shame because of things that have been done to us. And number three, shame about things that we might do in the future. And when I read this, I see God highlighting another facet of shame that we often don't touch upon. I think that some of us are just waiting for God to shame us, for him to change his mind about us, to leave us out, to push us to the outside of his family, to abandon us. But it's just not true. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. God is not waiting for you to mess up. He doesn't want to embarrass you. He's not going to abandon you. He's not going to leave you. God is not waiting to shame you. So today I want you to leave behind the negative ideas that you've got about God, maybe about family. And I know we've all got them. We've all got them. It really um, reminds me, actually, of something that somebody said to me once. Uh, I was really struggling. Um, A few years on uh, from my youth, and I was dating. And because of some of that past that I mentioned, I was terrified of marriage. Terrified. Terrified of that commitment. My goodness. Because... All I'd seen is that people break up, right? So why would I want to put my head on that chopping block? Please, no thank you. Why would I put myself in a situation or commit to something that breaks down? I was terrified. And I went to a dinner with some church people. uh, Midweek, they always get you at the midweek sessions over dinner. And somebody said to me, Taylor, I've got a word for you from God. And I really felt that God wanted me to give you the same word tonight. And I know I mentioned marriage. I only mentioned that because that was my fear. That was the shame I was carrying. That was my worry in the deepest parts of my heart. I don't say it because I think everyone should get married. I absolutely don't. But there'll be things that you're carrying. There'll be other lies that you're believing about what it means to be in family. And I believe that this word applies to all of that. And this is what this guy said to me. He said, Taylor, I've got a word for you. I was like, oh, here we go. And he said, God just wants to say to you, you don't have to wear the old family T-shirt. You don't have to wear that family T-shirt. And it, <laughs> it cut me to the soul, let me tell you. When we become a Christian, we get a new T-shirt. We don't have to continue in the patterns that maybe our families or life have taught us. And I, I don't say this to slam our families. I don't say it to slam our parents. I love my family. I love my parents. I'm sure you guys do too. You know, God chooses our families, and that sometimes is a hard thing as well. But I say it because all of us, even our families, get 
a new t-shirt when we come into Jesus Christ. We get to swap that old t-shirt marked with sin and destruction. And we get to swap it for something brand new. We get to be built into a holy temple. So you can feel comfortable. If you've put your trust in Jesus, you can get comfy. You can put your bags down, you can unpack, you can settle in, you can spend time in the household with our heavenly Father. You can drop the bags, you can put your stuff down. You know, as I mentioned, I moved around a lot, back and forth, to my mum and dad, back and forth, back and forth, and oh my goodness, packing. It's the worst. Put your hand up if you hate packing. Yeah, it's not good, isn't it? Even prepping for New Day. Like, I bet some of you prepped weeks before, didn't you? I know the type. Some of you are packers, and you start early, and you prep everything, and you lay it all out. Put your hand up if you're like a a seasoned packer. Who got everything ready, planned your outfits? Just a few. Okay, who like me shoved everything in the suitcase like two days before? (laughs) Okay, okay, keep your hand up if you forgot something important. <laughs> right, yeah. Okay, we're all learning today. <laughs> Absolutely. It's not easy packing though, is it? Like, you've got to remember your toothbrush, your chargers, you've got to carry it. I remember I had this backpack that I used to carry between mum and dad and used to carry it. And honestly, I can still see it. It used to drive me mad. And it was so heavy that it actually used to like hurt my shoulders. Has anyone done that? Carried kind of bags maybe back and forth and it, it hurts. Yeah. Oh, it's horrible. I really don't like packing. <laughs> and I remember when I was actually engaged, um, so we made it through the fear, praise God. Um, I was engaged and my friend Beth, who I actually met her in year eight, So she'd seen me right through my teenage years, kind of the fallout of mum and dad's relationship, right into my adult life. And when I was engaged, she said, gosh, Taylor, you must be so excited to get married. Not even even to be married. She said, because really, you're like, you've never had a home. I was like, gosh, okay. She said, you've never had a home. And she said, you must just be so excited excited to just put your bags down. I was like, geez, stab me through the heart, why don't you? My goodness. And she was spot on. Do you know what? When she said it, it just, it cut me, man. I, I, I was so excited just to put my bags down and build something that I didn't have to leave, where I didn't have to pack up again and remember what I needed and go. And the thing is, I'd become a Christian at 16, and what I hadn't realized at that point, and what I really, really, really want you guys to get earlier than I did, is that God had already created a home for me at that point, when I put my trust in Him. He'd created a forever home for me, where I didn't have to pack up or move, where nobody's going to say it's time to go or I'm kicking you out. God had created a home where I could get comfy with him and be known. He created a home for me then at age 16. He's created a home now 
for you guys and into eternity. That's what heaven is, being in God's presence forever in his household. Never ever needing to pack up again. Never ever needing to pick up your bags. And there's room for you too. There's room for you too. All of you at the back, right down to the front, there is room for you. And not just room for you like we're squeezing you in on the end, but more like a room for you. You know, when I left my first family home after all the fallout, I always had this picture in my head of this little sign that used to be on my door. And it said, Taylor's room. I don't know if any of you had one of these, little wooden sign. Taylor's room, and it had a little teddy bear. Whenever I used to get upset about moving, this always used to come into my head. And I believe that's what it's like for us. That's what it's like for you when God calls you into his household. Your name's on, on your bedroom door. He knows your name. He calls you by name. He's numbered every single hair on your head. And he is so interested in your life and your life being saved. He loves you and he's called you by name. There is room for you. Jesus came to say to all, every single one of you here, come on in. Come home. And Jesus, perfect and holy, has always been in perfect harmony and in a perfect family with God. Always. For eternity past and eternity future, he's always been in this perfect family unit with God. And yet, he packed his bags and left his home with the Father to come and live amongst us. To take on our baggage and to sit in that place and take on God's righteous anger, that wrath. He stood in the place of us, the sons of disobedience, and took on the wrath for all of our sin. All of our sin. Anything that has come to your mind. All of it. All of it past, all of it now, all of it future. He came and lived among our mess so that he could swing wide the front door of God's household and invite us into that home. We can have a forever home with God. Nobody is getting kicked out. So come on in. Come home. Now, the band have come up, and we wanted to do something a little bit different tonight. I know it's a heavy topic. I know there's going to be things stirring in your hearts, and we will have time to pray. But I just want all of us to sit in the presence of God right now. I really believe he wants to do a work among us, to speak to our hearts about what it means to be invited in forever, to be seen as his first place prized possession. And so what we're going to do, the band are going to lead us in a song. We will sing it a little bit later, but for now, 
I just want you to reflect on the words in your heart as they minister to us. You might want to pray the words in your heart and we're just going to see what God does.